You're listening to Musings with Mark So. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're doing this. It's a wonderful day here in San Francisco. My name is Mark. Welcome back to Musings with Mark So, episode two. Thank you for the feedback on the first episode. I will be trying to implement that immediately in this one. So if you hear something new, that came from listeners like you. So I'm going to try something where I'm going to start my episodes off by asking Alexa for some definitions that can kick off what I'm going to talk about. So Alexa, what is the definition of musical theater? Alexa, what is the definition of musical theater? Musical theater is usually defined as a genre of theater that combines spoken dialogue with song and dance. Alexa, what is the definition of imposter? Imposter is usually defined as someone who attempts to deceive by using an assumed name or identity or other devious disguise. Wow, okay, that is a pretty strong definition. I did not know it was that negative, so don't worry. It is not going to get to that level, but at the core of it, yes, that is what we're going to talk about, is the exclusive world of American University musical theater productions, but wait, the exclusive, exclusive perspective of American University musical theater productions as told by a participant with very little musical or acting experience. And so before we jump in, I wanted to talk about an experience I had this last week after releasing that first episode, which was I was planning out ideas for future episodes and thinking about sort of where I could take the podcast. And what I was hit with was this doubt that at the age of 23, 10 months out of college, I'm too young, I'm not an expert in anything, and I don't have enough life experiences to speak and produce content of value. And what I was hit with was a quote that I got somewhere, and I don't remember where, but the quote was, in specificity, there is art. In specificity, there is art. And what that quote hits at for me is the fact that when you embark on a new artistic endeavor, such as a podcast, and the feelings of inadequacy and imposter syndrome inevitably hit, the fallback can be and should always be the fact that if you get specific enough, if you get proximate to exactly how you felt, experienced, or witnessed something and let that inform how you act and share, and if that's unfiltered, honest, and unconstrained by what other people think and what you think other people will think, then that is art. And I was reminded of that in the comments of people being encouraged by the show and looking forward to more. And so if that is something that you struggle with is those feelings that what you produce and what you can produce is going to be inadequate, just remember that quote, in specificity, there is art. As long as you dig deeper, there can be value in what you produce. And so with that, we're gonna try something new today to transition from the intro to a topic to a topic to the closing, 
which is a musical transition. I don't want to find any more royalty-free music than I need to, so what I'm going to do is just sing a little snippet of a song that's on my mind, and then we'll transition neatly into the next thing to talk about. Can't you see that it's just raining? There ain't no need to go outside. All right, so to dive in, we're going to talk about my experience with musical theater at the American University level with very little experience in musical theater or in acting. I was a junior in college. It was my winter quarter. I had just sort of solidified my finance and film studies, and I had decided I was going to be a film producer. Future episode, boom. And I was walking back from class one day with my friend Alex, and he turns to me and he says, hey, I dare you to audition for the spring musical, Legally Blonde, the musical. And I turned to him and I said, I will only do it if you also audition. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. And he said, well, I'm not going to do it then. And so he said, okay, fine. And so we walked to the theater department. I've never been to this part of campus before. It's below our theater. So like the box office of what a theater company would look like. And there's this board with a bulletin. And on the board of the bulletin is a sign-up form for auditions and about 80 slots over two days. And so this day is a Friday before the Monday that auditions were going to start. And so two things I noticed. The first is that every single slot on this audition slip is filled. And the second thing I noticed is that of those 80 names, around 72 of them are women and maybe eight of them are guys. And so Alex and I turn to each other and we go, hey, we have a pretty good shot here. And so we do something that we probably shouldn't have done, but in hindsight, was a very good decision. We drew in two boxes on the bottom of Monday for like 9 p.m. and just drew them in. And we were like, they'll deal with it. And so we had three days over that weekend to prepare our auditions. And some background. I have been in one musical production my freshman year of high school. So I was 14 years old. My best friend Johnny signed me up for auditions and me as an impressionable 14-year-old who liked to sing and that's basically all I knew about the arts was like, what's the worst that could happen? And so I auditioned. Him and I had a lot of chemistry obviously off stage, and so we were both cast in the roles of the princes of Into the Woods. I was Rapunzel's prince. He was Cinderella's prince. We destroyed Agony. It was a legendary performance. But it kind of just like faded into... The back burner of my high school experience. I never did another musical production again, and that was sort of my only real substantial acting experience up until that point. So you fast forward six and a half to seven years later, I'm standing in front of that audition board. We write our names down, not knowing what we got ourselves into. And so that weekend, we are preparing our monologue and our song. I have done one audition because I did it for Into the Woods when I was 14. And so I recycle a song that I used in one of my vocal lessons for my freshman year of college called Some Enchanted Evening from South Pacific. Amazing song. You should check it out. And then I choose a monologue by Googling comedic monologues for young adult male. And I came across one that started with my cat died last week. And it's like a very dry humor comedic monologue that I thought I could deliver well with just like a deadpan face. And so that weekend, 
we are practicing with three people from my acapella group that I knew were auditioning for the show. And what I quickly realized is that these people have known that the theater department was going to be doing Legally Blonde for a very long time because they announced it the year prior and that they had signed up on that audition form maybe two and a half, three weeks before that audition and had been preparing their songs and their monologues over that time. And so from the get-go, I'm feeling a little bit of imposter syndrome. I'm hearing that everyone has been preparing for a long time. I scrounged together my audition materials over that weekend. And the South Pacific song that I do, I imbue it with the only acting that I know how to do, which is Rapunzel's Prince from Into the Woods. And so I do the Rapunzel's Prince version of the Some Enchanted Evening from South Pacific. And I get to my audition, I do that. I remember that the song, I sort of overdid the acting. It didn't really work with the song, as you would expect, because Rapunzel's Prince doesn't sing that song. And the monologue, I got a couple chuckles in the beginning, but nothing amazing or impressive. And so what inevitably happened, though, is that because 10 guys had auditioned for the show, basically every single guy got a callback. And so for the callback, you prepare like a couple scenes from the show and then like a minute or so of that character's big song. And so we walk into this room and it is a black box. I don't know if you've ever been in a black box before, but it is the most intimidating space for basically any activity. Like you would expect, all the walls are black, the floors are black, the ceiling is black, the lights on the ceilings are black, the bleachers are black, everything's black, the chairs are black, everything's black. And so you walk in and there's these bleachers set up on one side with a judge's table sat in front of the bleachers that is staring out into the vast expanse of where the auditions are going to be held. So one by one, you would go up and you would sing your song facing the crowd of all the other people who got called back for these principal positions. So like, you know, the main character, Al Woods, and then what I was called back for, which was Professor Robert Callahan the main villain and sleazy law professor who famously hits on Reese Witherspoon in the movie, who is supposed to be just incredibly charismatic and just has a great voice. And so that past weekend before the audition, I didn't know what Legally Blonde the musical was. And so I had to go back and I watched the MTV recording of it that's available on YouTube. It's very good. But the guy who plays Callahan in the original Broadway cast, his name's Michael Rupert. He is a Broadway legend, and he is an, he's a king. He is so good at singing. He commands presence. Okay, this, all right. We're going to wait for this uh, officer to go by. He's doing his duty. I apologize. I live in the tender knob, and that's what happens here. And so I get into the callback room i'm freaking out i look around other people are looking calm cool and collected they are looking like professionals some people dressed up to like look more like the role because you know the little things count in that in that space and obviously the competition for the female roles is a lot more intense than for the male roles and so for the part of callahan i'm going against two other guys they're both people who have been involved heavily in the theater scene at Santa Clara, but I have more of a singing background, and so that's the only trump card that I can play because I don't know what to do with my face or my body or my hands 
or the inflection of my tone when I'm delivering lines, all things that work against me. But again, it's a musical and I've always liked to sing, so that's my one thing that I have. And so basically we get through the callback. It is super intense. We leave. Two days later, I get an email that says the cast list has been posted. So I walk back to that bulletin board and there it is, my name, I think four or five names down on the cast list next to Robert Callahan. I will be playing the main villain of Legally Blonde, the musical. Legally Blonde, the musical is a lot of glitz and glamour. It is over the top. It is it is fun, right? It is crazy. But the one thing that really grounds it is the character of Callahan. He is so intimidating, and his song, Blood in the Water, where he comes out and introduces himself, is supposed to invoke so much charisma and fear that for the rest of the show, it sets up that tension that the protagonist then has to resolve and fight against. And so, needless to say, I was feeling scared. And I looked down the cast list, and I saw that my friend was cast in the role of Kyle, the UPS guy, but unfortunately, due to scheduling conflicts, he actually had to pull out of the production. So all of a sudden, I am left in this thing from a dare with the person that was supposed to be in the show with me, and that person can no longer be in the show. And so we get into the first couple rehearsals, and I have absolutely no idea what is going on. The director is a professional. She knows exactly what she's doing, but I think she's used to people with even a tiny modicum of experience in acting or musicals or something. And so the dialogues we're having are like, Mark, tell me about Robert Callahan's background. And so I'm like, well, he's Caucasian, but for me, Robert Callahan might be an adopted kid from South Korea who came to the States and didn't feel understood and so then he just pent all that up and then wanted to gain supremacy over the people around him. So he was like a ruthless uh, student in school and then worked his way up to be in law school. And now he's a Harvard law professor and he's a really, really good practicing lawyer. And so he just commands respect wherever he goes. But it all stems from insecurity. And they're all looking at me like, wow, that is a lot. We don't need to unpack that here. But that's good stuff. You should use that to impact your performance and how you speak and that transfer of me brainstorming an idea of what a korean adoptee robert callahan would look like to how i would speak and act and move my body is something that i just could not do that transfer process didn't make any sense to me i needed clear direction on how i should move my body on stage and that was by far the worst part of it for me when you're moving in a musical or on um, or in a play, the key is to be fluid and to just do what the character would do. But when you have no experience, what that lends itself to is you turning your back to the audience, to you feeling robotic and not grounding yourself. So grounding yourself in sort of the context of musical theater means like grounding yourself in certain moments to deliver lines where like you stay still and so that the emotions or sort of the the punch of that line will come through. And I didn't know how to do any of that. I didn't know that process. The only thing that I really focused on in like the first four weeks was the singing. 
and I had that down. And so it all comes to a head about two weeks before opening. We get to this rehearsal where we're in this dance room and there's a bunch of mirrors around us and we're performing for the first time for a group of people who are outside of our cast. And so the director invites her daughters and her husband, the musical director invites his girlfriend and then other production staff that are involved, like the costume designer and the set designer, they bring their families and they're all watching. And at this point, I had the song down, I had my lines down, we're at that point, but I just, for the song Blood in the Water, when I first come out, I just don't know what to do with my body and my face. And it's just, I'm trying to improv on the spot, but I don't have the experience or the know-how for it to be effective. And so I'm watching the daughter's face, and I come in about 35, 40 minutes into the show, that's when I'm first introduced, and they're having the ride of their lives. They love they clearly love this show they adore the show everyone's doing a great job the cast is incredibly talented these are people who in their respective high schools like got all the leads and were rock stars and expected to get all the principal roles coming into college and a lot of them were theater majors a lot of them weren't but they were people who'd done musical theater in high school come to college didn't think that it was going to be part of their college experience and then Legally Blonde was announced and like, okay, wow, I have to do the show because it was intensely important to me in middle school. And then there was me who literally watched it for the first time one day before my audition. And so we're going through this and the run is going well. And then it gets to my song and I just crumble. It was an absolute disaster. I was sweating. I My voice was shaking. I had no conviction. And the worst part is that I could slowly see the director's daughters falling out of the magic of the show, which is something you never, ever want to see as an actor, is you ruining that experience for someone. And so I stumble through the song. We get through the rest of the show. That experience with the song really shakes me, and so I'm just, I'm not on my game for the rest of the performance. And this is two weeks before opening night, and so I'm feeling bad about myself and so I get back to my room and I start to really doubt for the first time whether or not I'm gonna be able to actually pull this off and I felt in that moment what it truly feels like to actually be an imposter like your exposed lack of ability is preventing you from progressing forward and it's also letting the people around you down but also realizing that you've come way too far for quitting or giving up to be an option. In short, just completely, completely paralyzed. I was deathly afraid that I was about to embarrass myself in front of thousands of people and let the entire production team down. And with that, we're going to take a little break where I'm going to try a new segment before we jump into how that Legally Blonde the Musical experience resolved. Who is that girl I see Staring straight back at me I apologize. In the wake of the live-action film's delay, Mulan has been firmly on my mind. But anyways, for this segment, I wanted to introduce to you, the listener, a film, a TV show, or maybe even album in the future that I would recommend you watch 
just in life, but also particularly when you have time during this quarantine. After the quarantine, the segment might change, but given that we don't know when that is, we might get through an exhaustive list of my recommendations. And so the first recommendation I have is a TV show that I have recommended to a lot of people personally, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It's available on Amazon Prime, and anytime I say that name, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, people tend to scrunch their face at me and say, what is this bubblegum show you're trying to turn me on to? And I say, you don't know what you're talking about. So here's the elevator pitch for the show. It is about a 1950s Jewish housewife who's living the idyllic life in the Upper West Side in New York. She is close with the rabbi. She has two kids. Her parents live in the same apartment with her so they can take care of her kids so that she has a social life as well. Her husband is a good-looking guy, and he has a great job, and he makes a lot of money, and they live in this beautiful apartment. In the span of a couple days, everything goes down the toilet, and what she discovers out of that is that she has this raw, unfiltered, but powerful talent for stand-up comedy. And the show explores how she essentially balances her burgeoning stand-up career with the fact that she still has all the responsibilities of being this idyllic Jewish housewife in the 1950s, which is a completely different world. It is sharply written, it is intensely fun, and you get to care about the characters in a way that I think doesn't develop when the dialogue isn't as good as it is in the show. And so that is my recommendation. Go watch the show, tell me your thoughts on it, and we're going to transition now back into the episode. We must be swift as the coursing river With all the force of a great typhoon With all the strength of a raging fire Mysterious as the dark side of the moon Fake apology, I should never be sorry for my love for Mulan But I am sorry if I took you out of the flow a little bit So to remind you of where we are at I had just ruined two Legally Blonde the musical fans' lives and was sitting in my room, paralyzed by the overwhelming doubt that I could pull this role off. I sat on my bed for what felt like a very long time, and what eventually broke through was the motivating fear of embarrassment. I am Korean-American, a culture in which saving face and not embarrassing yourself is quite literally the most important social priority. Again, with the Mulan because it's on the mind, that scene where Mulan's dad says, you dishonor me, and then she is so distraught that she has no choice but to break into song about her self-identity crisis is not completely applicable to how I felt, but very, very closely adjacent. And so that fear of embarrassment really drove me to double down and just grind. I had nothing to draw from. I had Rapunzel's Prince and that experience to draw from, but Rapunzel's Prince and Professor Callahan are about as different as you can get in the musical theater world, so I have nothing to draw on. And so me doubling down looked like this. Over the next two weeks, I studied every single production of Legally Blonde the Musical I could find on YouTube. College, high school, and even middle school productions. 
I studied middle school productions of Legally Blonde the Musical just to see how Callahan's during Blood in the Water would say certain words, sing certain notes, what their facial expressions look like, how they would work around the stage. I read about acting on the internet and would watch videos of actors and musical theater actors describing how they performed and what went through their head as they built their characters. And I would skip class to go to the music and dance building to practice my Blood in the Water song. And I blocked every single facial expression and every single movement in the entire song. And so clearly what I'm building is not a traditional acting experience, but what did result out of those two weeks was a patchworked competence that allowed me to get through the entire show. If what I was doing was not acting per se, it was at least insanely consistent. And so I thought, what better way to show off this patchwork than to play the recording of my closing night performance of Blood in the Water and walking through facial expressions, movements, and thoughts even that went through my head on a nightly basis. The recording misses my entrance in about 20 seconds of acting and singing, so if you'll indulge me, I will recreate that for you. Jump back into the character of Professor Robert Callahan until the recording starts and just imagine that there is also music. And so I'm standing off to the right side of the stage and I come in with, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say will be used against you. Now, when you choose a law career, the moment you embark, there is that joke you're bound to hear, a lawyer is a shark. Ignore that, it's simplistic, and it's dumb. Only some of you will turn out sharks, just some. The rest are chum. Our topic is blood in the water. Kids, it's time you faced Law school is a waste. Oh yes, unless you acquire a taste for blood in the water. Dark and red and raw, you're nothing until the thrill of the kill. So right there at Thrill of the Kill is the first of many what I would describe as surprised shark faces where my eyebrows would go up and I'd smile like a crazy person. And I would repeat this anytime I wanted to appear unnerving. And at this point, I am standing slightly stage right with my right hand over my left hand, standing stoically. Becomes your only law. Mr. Schultz, hypothetical question. Would you be willing to defend the following banker accused of fraud? So at this point, I've traversed across the stage and I'm now standing with my arms crossed in front of Mr. Schultz. A kind old grandma took her savings and she sent it off to your clients all she saved since she was born. Well, he promised to invest it, but he spent it on prostitutes and heroin and porn. No, I wouldn't want to take that case. Wrong! This one is a win unless you're lazy. I never knew how to do this wrong, this one is a win unless you're lazy, and so I always just did it as aggressive as I could. Wrong! This one is a win unless you're lazy. Grandma's broke, she'll have some hack from legal aid. Put her on the stand and call her old and crazy. Your guy goes free and he can get you high and laid. <laughs> oh, 
So this was the last of seven performances. And what I realized is that if I accented the D in laid and made it longer, then people would laugh. And this was the first line that would get a laugh in the show. And so I needed to do it well. And I knew that if I got a good laugh on this line, then I had the crowd. Blood in the water. Read short Thomas Hobbes. Only spineless stars will quarrel with the moral On the word quarrel, I would do a very, very slight shake of the hips, almost like a shimmy. And you can kind of hear it in my voice, and I would do it every single night, but no one ever noticed. We'll quarrel with the morally dubious jobs, yes, blood in the water. Your scruples are a flaw. Ms. Hoops, another hypothetical. Would you be the right lawyer for the following clients? Say they offer you a bundle for defending a famous hitman for the Mafia elite. On a famous hitman for the Mafia elite, I would try to make it sound like I was making up the case on the spot, and it was always kind of weird. A famous hitman for the Mafia elite. Well, since he missed his chosen prey, killed a nun and drove away, running for three cute puppies in the street. Two things real quick. The first is that for puppies on the street, I would make an okay sign with my hand and do a one, two, three hit for each cute puppy in the street. The second is that my director would always get on me for doing this thing that I didn't know I was doing where I would go down at the end of sentences and bring down the energy. I always thought I was just being conclusive in my thoughts, but she was definitely right. Running for three cute puppies in the street. What? You think I wouldn't defend him just because he's a typical man? Oh, oh you lesbians think you're so tough. <laughs> An objectively tough thing to say to someone. We don't need to play it again. Oh dear, I fear my comment has offended. Hard to argue though when you're too mad to speak. Your employment will be very quickly ended when they see how your emotions make you see how your emotions make you weak line was my signal to the crowd that I was about to go off. When they see how your emotions make you weak. So what's my point? I run a billion dollar law firm and I hire four new interns every year. And from this class I will select four young sharks to my respect. And those four will have a guaranteed career. Do you follow me? So I want to see On Let the Games Begin, I would do this weird thing where I'd put my hands out to both sides and I'd sort of saunter forward like I was ushering in the Olympics or something. And I never really liked it, but it's what I settled on and I kept doing it. Let the games begin. Four of you will win. But just those four where the door's open. Yes, I a prominent surprise shark face moment. So bite and scratch and claw. Yes, Miss Elwood. Well, someone's had their morning coffee. 
would you summarize the case of State of Indiana v. Hearn in your reading, please? A nightmare line. I'm supposed to be this lawyer who can say, would you summarize the case of State of Indiana v. Hearn from your reading, please? Like, that fast. And some nights, it would sound exactly like how I just did it. Would you summarize the case of State of Indiana v. Hearn from your reading, please? Oh, I wanted to answer the puppy question. But I'm asking you about the assigned reading. <laughs> okay, who assigns reading on the first day of class? <laughs> you have guts, Miss Woods? Ms. Kensington, let us say you teach a class at Harvard Law School. If it sounds like I'm overemphasizing the S in say, you're correct. That was the cue for the music director to come in, and so I would make the S extra long because I thought it was funny. Let us say you teach a class at Harvard Law School, a position that you're justly proud about. But a girl on whom you call hasn't read the case at all. Should you let it go or? No, I'd throw her out. <laughs> Alright then. On Alright Then, I would start with a big smile, and on each descending note, it would gradually disappear. It was creepy, and it was good. Alright then. You heard your classmates. You have just been killed. She cut your throat, so grab your coat. Yes, you've got guts, but now they spilled your blood in the water. Hot and if you return, be ready to learn. This is the exact moment in the song where something would snap in my brain and the 21-year-old Korean-American would cease to exist and a 50-year-old Caucasian Harvard Law professor would emerge. Also of note is that for the entire song, I've had one hand in my pocket as a pretentious Harvard Law professor thing, and this is the first moment where I take out both hands, and I planned it that way. And if you return, be ready to learn, or is that unfair? Oh wait, I don't care, that's just how I I'm about to ascend to the heavens of my low bass range on this next note you're about to hear, and little singer secret, I would clench my butt in this moment as hard as I could because there was no way I was going to get that note out otherwise. What you just heard is two things. One, my peak, and two, a performance by someone who had absolutely no idea what they were doing, but deeply motivated by a fear of embarrassment and with hours and hours of studying middle school musical theater productions and practicing relentlessly on their own, was able to piece together something that was not conventional in any sense of the word, but somehow worked. Over our seven shows we had together, I fell 
completely in love with performing on stage. The feeling of being on stage, engaging with the sway of the crowds who are different every single night, and just proudly displaying months of hard work alongside people who've done the same. And for me, two weeks of extremely hard work. It completely shifted my my shoebox-sized idea of what performing looks like and what it feels like for myself. The feedback I got for playing Callahan, a character that I'd never thought I'd get right, was overwhelmingly positive. A conversation that stuck with me was with a pair of older women who came up to me after one of the shows, and they asked me if I was a theater major. And when I said no, this was my first production in college, they both kind of looked at each other and then broke out into this story about an actor that they had loved in the 80s and 90s who had decided to pursue acting after one production in college. And they kind of ribbed me and encouraged me to do the same. The experience spawned a passionate interest and love of theater and of musical theater that had previously never existed. And it pushed me to act and produce content in a student-devised play called Love Stories over a period of four months my senior year of college. As an actor, as weird as that is to say, I felt like and definitely was an imposter during Legally Blonde. But in the process, I found something and discovered something to work at that I really, really enjoy. In the five months that I've lived in San Francisco and started my journey as a quote-unquote true young adult, I now feel fully settled here and am committing after the craziness of the quarantine to actively start looking for opportunities to learn more about acting and about singing. It's now one of my major priorities, if nothing more than to just explore a new interest that enriches my life. But I consider that experience with Legally Blonde, no matter how trivial it may seem one day, as a major milestone in my personal growth. It taught me that feeling like an imposter and overwhelming self-doubt can either be greatly discouraging and push you to question whether or not you belong, or if you allow it to, it can motivate you to stay humble, to grind when you have no other answers and seemingly nothing to fall back on, and to focus first and foremost on the difficult work of discovering a new craft. I realized that the fact that I put in that work, no matter how unconventional or how long it took me and didn't give up, proves that I belonged the entire time. And with that, I'm going to conclude the second episode of Musings with Mark So. Thank you so much for listening. I've decided that for these endings for this podcast, I'm going to end with a quote related to something that has been mentioned in the episode. And so as you may have guessed, here now is a quote from the emperor from Mulan. The flower that blooms in adversity is the most rare 
and beautiful of all. And so with those wise words, I'm signing off for all of us here at the Musings with Mark So podcast, myself and bedroom Alexa. I hope you stay safe and have an amazing week. But wait, that's right, it's Musings on Musings with Mark So. My first thought is that I use the word overwhelming so much that it's starting to lose its meaning. And my homework for myself is to look up synonyms for the word overwhelming in preparation for episode three. The second thought is that I used to watch Mulan every single day when I got home from school. And even though the live action film is delayed and it's not going to have Mushu, Shang, or music, you can bet that I will be there with money in hand to watch it at least twice, and you should do the same. And so with that, thank you so much again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next one.